0: Welcome to LameStream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Bradengall. Gall. Or, for all things Nashville, Blue Sky at Braden Gall.
1: Uh, my name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me at Scavendish on Blue Sky. You can do it on X. You can do it on Twitter. You can do it on Instagram. Wherever you, wa- you want to find me, I'm Scavendish. Uh, if you like the show, the one you're listening to right now, please rate it. Please review it. Please subscribe to it. But more than anything, just tell somebody you know, you listen to LameStream Sports, and they should, too.
0: Our guest today on the show, engineer and analytics guru, artist formerly known as Mike Miracles. Ba- Mike Herndon. Basically,
1: our favorite nerd.
0: Mike it- Herndon. Don't stop stepping over his name. Mike Herndon of PaulKarski.com and the Football and Other Efforts podcast. Uh, he, of course, is a big part of how the Tennessee Titans fan base has studied their team and how it's changed over the last five, six, seven, eight years. I think most people now understand almost everything he's going to talk about in this interview, which is a different, uh, which is a change I think from when he got started in this. And so we're going to talk about Brian Callahan. We're going to talk about the new offense. We're going to talk about the new front office. How do analytics play into all of their decision-making and how do they analyze and try to understand new coaches and new roles? So a lot of stuff, what would he like to hear from the front office about how they're using analytics and data to make decisions. Uh, and what are the most important metrics in evaluating Will Levis and the roster and the team and the decisions, all that kind of stuff. So really fun stuff uh, with, with Mike Herndon and like basically like a four minute geek out on Tajay Spears. So you and, you and him just like geeked out on Tajay Spears <laughs> for a couple of minutes. Uh, so stay tuned for that, of course, uh, as well. However, we are brought to you by here on LameStream Sports by the wonderful and amazing folks over at 8th and Roast. That was pretty good, balanced, yeah. like a nice, like balanced. a nice medium blend, <laughs> like a nice full body. I'm trying
1: medium. to, uh, I'm trying to channel like my uh, my inner
0: game show announcer on that. That was a, good, I like that one. I'm a there new car. A- <laughs> uh, Ethan Roast has been proudly roasting premium coffees since it was founded in Nashville in 2009. Through strong partnerships with farmers, they acquire only the best quality coffees and maintain. This standard all the way through the roasting process, eighth and roast, eighth and roast, eighth and roast is committed to a culture of excellence in sourcing and stocking the freshest and most ethically traded coffee possible. I got to tell you, as somebody
1: who spends a fair amount of time talking to maybe job candidates, maybe uh, sources, all sorts of stuff in coffee houses all over the city.
0: uh, Fancy people at restaurants.
1: I do. Uh, I I do like my time spent at Ethan Roast. Uh, yeah, yeah. A candidate and I sat down for about an hour and a half uh, this week at the at the Ethan Roast over on Charlotte. had a had a great conversation. I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed some fine coffee uh, and uh, a very delicious uh, chocolate chip cookie. So,
0: see, that's a perfect lead in here because I was over at Ethan Roast on Charlotte this week, and you just sort of never know who you're going to see in there. I ran into an actual co-host of one of my own shows. I I ran in Will Compton. Shout out to your boy. Will Compton was over there hanging out at 8th and Roast. Awesome. And Steve Cavendish apparently goes to 8th and Roast with Marsha Blackburn to have hour-and-a-half-long conversations.
1: We do. Apparently. I mean, Marsha and I, we're tight. <laughs> we're very, very tight.
0: Uh, I've got a bag of the French New Wave here in front of me. Brown sugar, hazelnut cinnamon, excellent, excellent stuff. Good breakfast sandwich. But most importantly, great, great coffee at essentially the same price as you get every other coffee in the city. So... Uh, they they do not overpay They don't pass that cost along to you the 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 fact that they go get those beans ethically sourced Okay, enough of eighth And roast That wasn't a good one That was terrible Enough of that, enough of that Here was our conversation with Mike Herndon Mike Herndon joining us here on the show Mike, welcome to the program Good to have you, how are you, sir? I'm doing great.
2: Doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Have you recovered from Michael Penix completing all 100% of his passes?
2: Oh, my gosh. That that was uh, that was such a brutal game. Because, honestly, <laughs> what, it, what it felt to me like uh, as a Texas fan was the, the Longhorns played Joe Burrow in 2019. And the, the very <laughs> start of that 2019 season, it felt exactly like that game. Because, like, Penix just could not miss all yep. the receivers. Yep. I mean, they made... Circus catch after circus catch. It was one of the best played football games I've seen by any, any team, which was why I was a little surprised that they followed it up with what I felt like was kind of a stinker uh, against Michigan. Now credit, like full credit to Michigan. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but Penix missed some throws in that game, the national championship that he absolutely hit against Texas. So
0: so you're, uh, so you're clearly over it is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm not
2: over it yet. I'm not over it yet. But look, I'm excited for 2024. Yeah, I think yeah. Texas, uh, Texas is
0: back to being relevant. You're, oh, wait, 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 wait! He just used the phrase. He just used the phrase. Yeah, you're, ex-
1: you know? you're excited for. The Manning era or the yours? Oh,
2: continuation? oh it's, it's yours. It's, yours. it's yours. Okay.
0: We didn't bring yours. you on to talk about the horns. Come on
2: now. Yours will be a, a top three. Like I think he'll be in New York at the end of the season. This, He's going to have year. a
0: good year. They're losing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the Titans could draft all of their players. By the way, off that Texas offense, Adonai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy. Uh, the tight end, they got running backs. They got all kinds of dudes that are going to get go. They got a Christian rebuild.
2: Jones. They got to rebuild around guys that could help.
0: Yeah. They got to rebuild around yours. But anyway, this is about the Tennessee Titans and this is about the new era <laughs> of the Tennessee Titans. And you are an engineer by trade and a big part of you and, and sort of your role in the Titans media has been bringing sort of uh, this smarter analytical approach to the game uh, through football and other efforts with your, your lovely and delightful an affable co-host, Zach Lyons. Um, And we're going to get into a lot of that on how you evaluate a new coach and a coaching staff and pieces that Brian Callahan is putting into place when they're all sort of entering into new roles. How difficult is that from an analytics standpoint? How do you study these guys? But I want to go back to the process, to the firing of Mike Vrabel, to the the coaching search itself, which was actually run very, very well for the first time in a while, Uh, clearly giving all the power to Rand Carthon, Ran and Amy not really saying much of anything through this entire process now for almost a month through the Brian Callahan introductory press conference conference and now into the hiring process of the staff, which obviously was a problem with Rabel to some degree. We're starting to see some things leak out about Rabel. Your thoughts on how the entire process played out and what does that tell you about the future of the organization?
2: Man, Uh, what a roller coaster ride it's been, first of all, like over the the last, what, two years now, since really the wheels started to fall off uh, following the A.J. Brown trade and and that seven and three start and everything and John Robinson firing and all that. As far as the process goes, I I remain convinced that Mike Vrabel is a very, very good football coach. Uh, In fact, I'd still say he's one of the top half, you know, in the league uh, among just being a head coach. Uh, of a football team. That being said, I think you can be of two minds with this thing, right? Like you can say that Vrabel is a good coach and you can also be of the opinion that the direction of the franchise and what Amy Adam Strunk very clearly wants to do. Now, like I think she made some mistakes by maybe not stating this clearly enough and not preparing Rand Carthon to be able to, to verbalize it uh, when they had the initial post Vrabel uh, press conference but I think the vision is very clear now that they want to move towards where the rest of the NFL is going. They want to move towards being a pass first uh, football team, a team that prioritizes efficiency and effectiveness in the passing game above all else, uh, which is something that we have not seen in Nashville since this team really arrived uh, from Houston in 1997. So, you know, I'm, fully on board with what they want to do. You know, they they're steering into analytics under Rand Carthon and Chad Brinker. Um And, and now with, with Callahan on board, I think he's more on board with that stuff uh, in a broader sense than what Vrabel might've been. And so I'm in agreement with the direction. I think some of the process has been sloppy because I, I just feel like if that's the direction they wanted to go, maybe the move would have been to rip the bandaid off with Vrabel last year uh, and, and go, fully new direction instead of trying to play this whole, you know, well, maybe we can work together and and everyone will play nice and everything. And I I just don't, I think it was sloppily managed, but they are heading in a good place to me. Like, like if if that makes sense, it's kind of been a bumpy ride in in the right direction at least. Um, So that's kind of like my overall view of things. And, And I'm surprised variable hasn't gotten a job. Uh, I think he probably will have success again in the NFL as a head coach at some point. Um, but we'll see what Callahan does. I, and I'm excited for Callahan. I think he was a great hire and, and, you know, I'm excited by generally everything that, that I've heard about. him.
1: When, when you're, when you're looking at a new coach and a new coaching staff coming together and you're, you're like us, you're on the outside. I mean, it's not like it's not like you're sitting in a room or it's not like you've got a Rolodex of 100 NFL coaches that you're talking to every single day. Right. How do you begin to think about the new coach and what this might look like just based on what's been out there? And how do you look at like assistants and think about what could they bring? What could the Titans look like next year based on whatever available evidence is out there?
2: Yeah. I mean, and I think the first thing that everyone does is, is you go and look at how the whatever unit that that person was in charge of how they performed in, in their most recent seasons. Right. And, and that's, that's kind of, I think what everyone goes to first, but I, I really think that that can't be the be all end all because it's not realistically a, a complete reflection of the job that that coach did. Like, I, like I said, I think Mike Vrabel's a good football coach, his team was not good this year. And yeah. I, I think we've all you know litigated the reasons over that for, for you know the last four months now. Um, but if you don't have good players, it's really hard for a coach to look good uh at the end of the day. So I think and I think all coaches would tell you that too, right? So I think you have to to listen to or read, you know, what people say about these guys around the league because i I do think people know you know the the people that that do talk to coaches around the league the people that that you know are connected in that sense they know who is being viewed as you know the next up and coming guy you know who's who's the uh who are the the people that are innovating within these staffs that that should have the attention so I, i think that the the overall approach to evaluating a coach has to be, you look at like, does their football philosophy make sense to you? Is that, is that, does that jive with the direction that you want the franchise to go to the, you know, things like that, which I think for Callahan, he's, he's made some public statements that you can go out there and, and find, you know, be a press conferences with the Bengals and stuff, stuff like that. Where he's, he's honestly been pretty transparent about, you know, this is how I view the game of football. You need, to, you know, the team that passes the ball most effectively is going to win the most games. Uh, you know, he said that verbatim, basically. Um, and then, you know, that you need to have guys on the outside who can win uh, at wide receiver. So like, to me, those are kind of his core tenants. Um, and I tend to agree that that is the way that the game is going. So that that's a big plus in his favor. But then, you know, I, I think it really comes down to, trying to go deeper than just like, well, his offense ranked this last year or whatever, you know, like that, that's the low hanging fruit. That's the thing that, you know, kind of everyone goes to first, but there's other levels that you can get to, to, to really see who's doing what.
0: So he, he mentioned, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he said, you know, analytics are a big part of sort of acquiring as much data as possible Concrete data, I think is the word he used, as possible in his press conference to inform yourself of the best possible decision. And mm-hmm. what I heard him say was, we really like analytics, we're really going to use analytics, but it doesn't mean analytics drives the final say. Yes, And, and so ultimately, does data back up his premise of as as it's it's funny because like he boiled it down as simply as possible the team that passes the ball the most effectively wins the game like that is I I don't think I've heard anybody say it like that does does most of the data back that up in terms of just I mean we we can say anecdotally the rules have changed and the quarterbacks are this and defense certainly was a little bit better offensive lines are struggling across all levels of football so does the data back that thesis up
2: yeah, it, it does. And you know, a few years ago, um, and this was when I was writing at Music City Miracles, I, I basically did a regression analysis looking at different metrics across the league as they relate to wins. like what what is the kind of the most correlated to winning more games out of all these different metrics and formulas and stuff like that? So I, I did all that research and analysis, and basically what I found was, the number one thing that predicts who wins a football game is turnovers. So, so, you know, turnovers, obviously a huge deal. Everyone knows that, but the, the interesting thing is that turnovers on defense are not really a stable metric year to year, but turnovers on offense are. So teams that protect the ball. And if you think about the the Patriots under Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for all those years, they almost never turned the ball over at a high rate. They protected the football, they did not turn it over, and their turnover differential was almost always positive because of that. It wasn't because their defense was complete, you know, creating 40 turnovers a year. It was because their offense only turned the ball over like 9 times a year total. Um so turnovers extremely important. So protecting the ball, but again, offense is going to be the the dictating side of the ball on that more often than not. Again, when you look at offense versus defense for passing yards, passing, you know, efficiency, all these other metrics, offense controls more often than not. So it is an offensive geared league. The numbers bear that out. And passing is far more correlated to winning than running is. And, and I know everyone looks at the stats of like, oh, well, when you rush for 100 yards, you know, I feel like the large part of, of the football fan uh, community has moved past that kind of thinking, but there is, that is still out there. And I just cannot (laughs) stress strongly enough that, that, that rushing for a hundred yards is often a result of you being ahead in a football game, right? Like, and, and you get ahead in a football game more often than not by passing the football effectively. So all the numbers bear it out. If you pass the ball well, if you don't turn the ball over, you're going to win most of your football games. That is the secret sauce to football.
1: If you want to kind of broadly look at the Titans over the last two years, they're a team that has run the ball really well and passed fairly ineffectively. Yeah. And the the results are the coach got fired. Exactly. And, and they've missed the playoffs, uh, you know, it, kind of in, in back-to-back years now. So
0: Having Malik I, I, Willis as your starter for a bunch of those games didn't help. Just point. Well, out.
1: I mean, but again, but again, to your
0: point, I mean, ineffective passing, or a banged up Ryan Tannehill, or a rookie quarterback. Yeah. yeah.
1: What do the uh, the 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 numbers tell us about kind of within that offenses that risk versus offenses that don't risk? Because you could say this about like offenses around the the league are fairly low risk offenses, and so as a C, result, CJ
0: Stroud, CJ Stroud at Houston.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not going to turn the ball over a ton. They're not asking. And, they're, and they don't ask Stroud to throw between two linebackers and a safety over the middle 15 times a game. Smartly on their part. I mean, not, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that's a that's a great game plan. But how much does risk kind of play into that? And what do you know, what do coaches and what does Callahan tell us about what risk might look like under the Titan uh, uh, for the Titans next year?
2: Yeah. And I honestly think the answer to that kind of varies by the team Um, because, you know, you think about a a risky throw, um, you know, into coverage or something like that. A lot of it depends on who's, who's the receiver on the other end of that. So when you have T Higgins and Jamar Chase, uh, you know, going down the sideline and tight coverage looks a lot, a lot less risky it? <laughs> than it is with Nick Westbrook-Evans and Traylon Burks, right? So, uh,
0: you, better, you better hold your tongue, sir. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I do. I do love N.W.I. <laughs> I'm, I'm a part of uh, Team N.W.I. as well. Uh, but, but you know, we're talking about different yeah, yeah, strategies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the uh, uh, I think Callahan priori- will prioritize receivers here, and I think part of that is to reduce the risk because when, when you have throwing outside, you know, down the field is really not a risky throw. uh, If you have, you know, pretty good receivers, that, that is not a spot where you're going to get picked off very often, you know, attacking the middle of the field is because you don't see a linebacker, the ball gets tipped, uh, you know, it goes off somebody's hands and there's a safety waiting there. If the ball goes off someone's hands on the outside, you know, outside the numbers, the ball's going out of bounds, right? Like, so, the safer throws are outside the numbers, and if you've got a quarterback with a strong arm like Will Levis, who can make those throws outside the numbers, and you've got receivers outside who can win and make those contested catches and, and win against tight coverage on the outside, I think that is a lower risk way to play football and still be aggressive uh, attacking down the field. So, like to me, if that's the approach that Callahan is going to make, he needs to get the personnel to do it, but I think that's a great approach to winning football games and, and being aggressive without being risky. The
0: the other thing he said at the press conference was basically again paraphrasing here um from an efficiency standpoint passing the football data wise he was talking about high completion percentage, very high yeah. completion percentage. That is not necessarily Will Levis's strength. Down the field he's been very very good, completion percentage wise among the best in the NFL, you look at the metrics and the data on him. And, and it's very successful, uh, but it's also a low lower percentage throw in general, of course, obviously. Yeah. So how do you marry what you see as – because, again, that that's – to me, C.J. Stroud and that offense is the polar opposite of what Will Levis is going to be good at. Right. But it sounds like Callahan is more in that ballpark when he talks and when you watch the Bengals. How do you marry – and obviously, this is his job – So, um, but how would you expect him to marry his system and low risk – meaning effective passing, no turnovers with a quarterback who is a little bit more risky and a little bit more down the field in general.
2: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see kind of what that that marriage looks like because, and and I do think last year, if you just look at Will Levis as a Titan, you know, the completion percentage was down. Like I think it was about 58%. Um, he was higher than that in college. He was in the, the 65 to 66% range at, at Kentucky. Um, and if you look at his CPOE numbers, which is completion percentage over expected, which basically takes into account depth of target area of the field, stuff like that. His, his CPOE numbers were not terrible last year. They weren't great. Um, but they weren't as bad as what the completion percentage looks like. If you just look at just the raw number, because he had the highest yards uh, uh, average depth of target uh, downfield of any quarterback in the league last year. And Ryan Tannehill was number two. So it was, it was also a scheme thing with Tim Kelly that they were pushing the ball down the field, which, you know, I I'm not necessarily opposed to uh, as long as you do it smartly. But I, I do think, it'll be interesting to see how much Callahan can kind of get Levis to dial back some of that stuff. Cause I I don't think there's any doubt that he is a, you know, touchdown to check down kind of guy. Like he wants to throw the deep ball. He wants to show off the big arm, all that stuff. Um, So I think reigning that in will be important for Callahan and, and kind of coaching him into, you know, this is when we want to take those shots. You know, there's a time and a place for that, but it's not every, it's not third and, you know, third and four, you know that you you want to take the shot down the field it's not you know and there's examples of that right from only mahomes
0: only mahomes can do that on, right, third, yeah, on, exactly. on third down um, exactly right, so let me let me play the role of editor here but like in a nicer way than somebody from columbia university would um so you <laughs> you get i want you to write the analytics piece about will levis i want yeah. you to do three things for me i want you to write what you think are the most important data points to evaluate any quarterback, right? Yeah. So you just mentioned a few completion percentage over expected, average depth of target, there's a lot of other ones. I yeah. want you to tell me what you think are the 2 or 3 or 4 whatever you think is on that top tier of most important metrics to evaluate a quarterback. Then I want you to tell me which ones Will Levis does well and which ones you're concerned about with Will Levis.
2: Yeah, I think um I think CPOE is is among the top uh, I think EPA per play uh, is near the top as well. And then I would say, uh, yards per attempt to me is, is pretty important as well. Um, and if you just look at last season's data on, on Levis, I think he would, he generally bears out pretty like below average in all of those relative to, you know, the rest of the NFL, um, his yards per attempt at 7.1 were actually pretty decent, but a lot of that is, he was pushing the ball down the field a lot. So when he hit, he was hitting for big yardage. Uh, but there was a lot of misses in there as well. So I think that's important. I think, you know, your sack rate uh, is important. And that's not always just a quarterback thing, right? Like the offensive line, clearly, and, and especially with the Titans, given their unique problem at left tackle. I, I think I ran the numbers up on it. Their left tackles combined this season allowed 25 sacks and 92 pressures according to PFF charting, which is unbelievable. (laughs) Like, It's almost
1: like not having them, isn't it? That's an entire offensive line for most teams.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I think uh, Dennis Daly the previous year had allowed 12 sacks and uh, I can't remember how many pressures it was. It was somewhere around 40 or 50. So it was literally twice as bad as Dennis Daly. Well, um, oh. <laughs> this year at left. Oh. tackle. So, and I don't think you can just ignore that, right? Like that was a clear problem yeah. and it affected Levis and it affected the whole offense, to be honest. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think quarterback, and this is something that I think Brian Callahan agrees with. I think quarterback has to help the offensive line as much as the offensive line has to help the quarterback. Um, and, and, you know, that means getting the ball out on time, understanding when you have protection, understanding your, your hot, uh, you know, responsibilities when a team brings a blitz and, and when you have unblocked pressure and things like that. So coaching will love us up to understand some of that stuff. Cause I don't think he was great in that, that sense last year, uh, I think is going to be absolutely critical as well as getting someone competent who can block at left tackle, because that was like a five alarm fire all year uh, and it never got better.
1: There's a lot of emphasis on Levis, obviously. uh, And particularly because Callahan has done sort of this kind of quarterback whispering role here a bit throughout his career. So I think everybody's hyper attuned to it, but now Derek Henry's not going to be back. But Tajay, uh, uh, Tajay Spears is going to be, he's certainly going to be featured and maybe in an offense that's, that looks different running the ball than the Titans have certainly the last three or four years. What do you think that means? And like, how should we, how should we kind of like evaluate Spears going into this year?
2: I'm excited to see Spears in a, in a bigger role. Um, and and I, I thought he flashed a ton of ability this year and in the comp, you know, and, and a lot of people made it pre-draft with him um, of Aaron Jones. You know, I, I was watching you know, after a full season of watching Tajay Spears. And I, I wasn't sure about that comp uh, during the draft process, but after a full season of watching Tajay Spears and then turning on and, and watching the last few games of the Packers season with, with Aaron Jones at running back, I completely get it. Like, I completely get it. The styles are very similar. Uh, they're similar-sized guys. They, they're they more slippery than you'd think for a guy that weighs about 200 pounds. I mean, his he averaged more missed tackles forced per attempt than Derrick Henry by far this year. So, I mean, you think about Derrick Henry, you think about him breaking tackles and stiff-arming a Tajay e. Spears was a lot more effective at that, but he just does it in a different way. Yep. Um, and he, his ability out of the backfield as a pass catcher, I think, will be important because, you know, it. and it's hard to know, to go back with Callahan a little bit, it's hard to know how much of Callahan's experience and what the offense looked like in Cincinnati we should expect to translate to Tennessee because he's been pretty upfront about the fact that they took what works for Joe Burrow and what Joe Burrow likes, and they tailored that offense to fit Joe Burrow to a T. And Joe Burrow likes five out in the in the pass, uh, the pass concept that he doesn't want, you know, running backs and tight ends staying in the block. He wants five receivers downfield to be able to spread the defense out and and make make decisions, make guys uh make defenses be stressed on the back end. Um and he he likes, you know, playing out of shotgun. He likes uh he likes spread formations, that kind of thing. So I'll be fascinated to see what an offense tailored to Will Levis looks like, uh, and what Will Levis likes. Um and and how Tajay Spears fits into that. Uh, because I, I think his ability as a pass catcher maybe underutilized last year i mean they they tried to do some stuff with him but I, I felt like he could have done more down the field even even lining up as a receiver at times and things like that i think there was opportunities to get him more involved yeah. uh in the passing game and, and i'm excited to see them expand that role for him
0: it's funny as a as a guy who obviously has watched a lot of aaron jones uh, yeah. i think aaron jones is more of a slasher honestly yeah. than, than spears i think he actually comps as a smaller joe mixon He's okay, more, yeah. he's more, he's more jittery than Aaron Jones, like stop and start. Like Tajay will be, he can do things and we're, and we're obviously into the peak of draft season already with the senior bowl. And we're going to be talking about, you know, all kinds of body parts and movements and ligaments and everything. And it's just, <laughs> we're already there because Titans fans are like measurables. Measurables. Yeah. And, yeah. um, having worked in recruiting, I don't like the, all the terminology that comes out, but I, <laughs> He he reminds me more. It, it, again, I think it's ironic that he reminds me of Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's like two twenty, so like he's bigger. Yeah. But it's the stop and start, in and out, back and forth, jittery, jittery sort of ability that, like you're pointing out, that allows him to break tackles. Yeah, it, it's it's the it's the it's the quick twitch, and I don't want to say like Barry Sanders ish type of stuff, but it's like give him a leg, take it away. It's yeah. very, it's very. I, I hate saying very unique, but but it is. Um, I want to go towards the the front office Mm -hmm. and you're you're a numbers guy you're the analytics guy the front office has said and alluded to dozens of times how much it is now a bigger part of the organization they have yet to show us or explain at any point what that means for in-game management decisions player evaluation injuries What would you like to hear from them? No one expects them to give away state secrets, some proprietary algorithm or whatever that Chad Brinker's created. But what is it that you would like to hear if you're a reporter asking them questions and you get them one-on-one and you get to have an engineering conversation with Rand Carthon and Brinker and these guys? What is the stuff you want to know about how they're using analytics?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd be very interested to know, like, for one, like how much of this is, are they building in house versus how much are they outsourcing tools and then doing some stuff on the back end with what you get out of those tools? Because there's all sorts of and football analytics, you know, uh, I guess third party vendors at this point that you can partner, like I mean, PFF. Is kind of that, like almost. Every, I think every team in the league has PFF Ultimate, which you know includes all of the, the, you know, the grades and stuff like that, which are the candy for for fans, basically. But the back end of PFF is what's really interesting. Like they they give you a little bit with the uh, subscription that you can get, uh, where you can see some of the charting data, you know, sacks allowed, stuff like that. But then there's another level to that that goes way deeper as far as like you know, you can sort by, you know, formation, who's on the field, who's off the field, you know, you can get on off ratings. So like you can maybe like isolate, you know, what kind of impact does this guy specifically have on a defense? Like, so when he's on the field, they allow this many yards per run or whatever, you know, there's all sorts of different levels that you can get into that, that PFF has. Um, but there's also other ones there's, um, and I'm blanking on the name. Sp-
0: there's sports um, source analytics. That's the college version. Which yeah. Also- it-
2: there's an outfit out of Louisville and I'm I wish I could remember their name now um because I've spoken with them before but uh, they do they have like a full analytics model that they partner with different teams and and provide data to and tailor data to what that team wants So I'd be interested to know how much they're actually doing in-house I know Sarah Bailey was hired to kind of like head up that that group under Brinker um and they're they're certainly still in the uh, you know, learning to walk phase, I would imagine of, of adopting analytics versus like the Ravens and the Eagles and teams like that, that have been doing this for years, you know, doing this for decades at this point, uh, and, and have fully built out staffs and stuff like that. So like they're, they're still in the infancy stages. Um, and that may be why they're not wanting to talk about it a ton right now, but I'd, I'd be interested to know, like, what does the fully realized version of this department look like? Like, where do you want to be in five years? Like the old inter- interview question: Do you want to have an analytic staff of fourteen that that are building in-house models and stuff like that, or are you going to be kind of using different yeah. vendors to kind of tailor? It? Yeah,
0: the, the, that, that'd of, be one thing. Uh, of the three, which one do you think is is most valuable? We just watched Dan Campbell make some interesting decisions in yeah. the NFC Championship game. We can debate the good or bad side of that analytics can tell you one thing. And sometimes it's not the right decision. Sometimes you have to use your football side of your brain to make a decision because you have an instinct. And sometimes those instincts are right. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes the data is right. Sometimes the data is wrong. Uh, of the three big ones, which is player evaluation. Of course, Titans fans care about injuries and then in game decision-making, which one do you think the data has the biggest impact on or, or is most, most accurate maybe is the best way to put it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I do think in game decision-making ultimately like knowing what the numbers say is important, but you do have to have the fuel because, you know, like the old adage of like, you know, the numbers can't tell you that your left guard is dealing with a knee injury and, you know, you can't really run that quarterback sneak here because, you know, he's not going to get that kind of push against, you know, whoever, you know, whatever Dexter Lawrence, uh, you know, Chris Jones. (laughs) Um, So it's, there there is a feel for all of that stuff um that i think has to be baked in and you can't just blindly follow the numbers every time i don't think i just i think that's uh maybe a little bit too much of a hands off the wheel situation but honestly i feel like the in game decision making is like that's like the tip of the iceberg like that's the the yeah. thing that's easy to like monday morning quarterback and and that's why it gets talked about so much but to me like that maybe influences one two games a season as far as like really like you know well if you made the other call you definitely win the game or whatever like cuz it's always you can second guess it but you know i'm it's,
0: it's counterfactual you can't prove it yeah
2: exactly exactly so it, i think the bigger the bigger fruit really with the analytics thing is is in roster building and analyzing players and figuring out like who in free agency should we target like what kind of guys fit a mold that we have proven like, hey, when you invest in this kind of guy, he performs on the second contract. Like, and, and that can be hard to do because like analytics can't tell you like what's in a guy's heart or like, you know, that kind of thing. But there are models that that can help you predict like, all right, this guy may be tapped out uh, as far as like what he can do. Um, so I think from roster building standpoint you know obviously analyzing players in the draft as well um what they're doing with that is far more important than like your in-game decision making stuff and then the other thing i think that's critical is game planning because there's analytics that can go into game planning and how various teams react to play action how various teams do uh you know run certain blitzes out of certain coverages or certain looks and like there there's You can do that based off film study, but there's also analytics data like from GPS data and things like that that can augment what you're seeing on the tape. Because what you see on the tape and not, you know, a coach has more refined eyes than me, obviously, for that kind of stuff. But a coach may not notice, all right, well, this linebacker is, you know, half a yard up closer, whereas the GPS data may be able to tell him you know, that that actually is a, a significant difference and your play action is going to work better because this guy triggers off of this certain look. Um, so there's stuff like that that can augment. And as long as it's working with the football stuff, because it's never going to be like, all right, well, we're, the analytics said we're going to be this kind of team. So this is the kind of team we're going to be. You can't ever do that. Um, but it, it's, it's just more information. It's just more data. And, and as long as it's viewed that way as a tool, I think it's extremely valuable and useful uh, to kind of building a team, and I'm excited that the Titans are finally embracing that because you know, look, the other teams are doing it, and to me, like you never want to be the team with the least information, you know.
1: If Callahan is successful next year, and the Titans are better and trending towards being a being a, a playoff bubble kind of team again, what do you think the data is going to show? Like, what what what's going to show up that says? Oh, that's a lot better. Or, or this Joe is... alt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that I think is going to be will... like,
0: that guy's good. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> being, Well, they found a left tackle, uh, that was better than a traffic cone, um, which helped, <laughs> it, 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 but I also think it'll be, uh, you know, that r- they found some ability in the passing game uh, that will Levis took meaningful steps forward, uh, as a quarterback, but not, like and, and this was this is actually something that I've been meaning to kind of get into a little bit more. Um, but Brian Callahan said something fascinating in uh one of the the pieces that I'd read um from his time with Rich Gannon. And it was that one of the things he learned from Rich Gannon when uh Rich Gannon was playing quarterback for his dad's Raiders team uh back in the day. And, and Callahan was, I think, in high school and just kind of hanging around the team. But said, you know, Gannon told him that. Uh, great throws don't make a great quarterback. Great decisions make a great quarterback. And to me, that resonates so much. Because, like, you, we focus on the throws because, you know, it's a wow, it's amazing, I can't believe you fit the ball in there. But the the monotonous, boring – Oh, well he made the right check down here. He made the right read there. Those go so much further to winning football games than the big 40 yard throw down the field. I mean, the, the making the right decision play in and play out is the job of the quarterback first and foremost. And that's why Tom Brady is still like the greatest quarterback of all time because he made the right it wasn't because he was super talented or or I mean, he was obviously talented to a degree, but it was the decision making that set him apart. And and to me, if if the Titans take a big step forward, it will be that Brian Callahan helped Will Levis make better decisions with the football in 2024.
0: It's it's funny. I think Peyton, Rodgers, Brady are the best chess players pre-snap that the game's ever seen. Yeah. And there's a reason that those three might be the three greatest quarterbacks of all time. And there's a reason. I mean, and this is not a knock on Tannehill, but I, I think Tannehill was not a good at-the-line chess player. Yeah. I, I think he was great when the, when the play was set up for success and he could execute it really well with superior athletic ability, yeah. but I don't think he saw four moves ahead the way you have to see to be great. And I don't know if we know if Will Levis can do that or not, and we're all going to find out though. Um, so ultimately last one here on the data and then we'll move and, and we'll let you go. Uh, do, you, do you think there's any, do you think there's many football fans that don't get all this stuff right now? Like in 2015, maybe they didn't, but it feels yeah. like almost everyone that that cares about football understands all of this stuff now.
2: I think most, I think most fans do uh, at least, you know, the people that really follow the league and, and things like that. Um, you know, the, your casual fans, maybe not so much. Um, but I, I think most fans do. I, I think there's actually the two camps now are not the people that are aware of it. And the people that aren't, it's the people that, Think it's hogwash, right? Like the,
0: the, <laughs> there's
2: there's a certain segment of the the football community that uh, I think just think it's a, just a bunch of nonsense, and and they prefer old school, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust football. Um, and you'll probably never convince them, regardless of what the numbers say or how many times you have to watch Patrick Mahomes lift a Super Bowl trophy <laughs> uh, uh, that that the pass game matters uh, more than the running game. So I, I I think that's really the two camps now: is the people who are uh, just, just don't think they think it's nonsense. And the people that, that actually, uh, listen to it.
1: You got a Super Bowl pick,
2: you know, I, I, can't, I think the 49ers are the better team. I think, I think the, the chiefs are going to win. I, I just think, yeah, <laughs> it, it, when it comes down to I just can't pick against Mahomes. Uh, I was going to say, he just so, somebody,
1: home. somebody was talking about this last week. He's not eliminated said, yet, guys. You got to pay. They him. said, they said, if, if, <laughs> Mahomes wins that game when the Chiefs, by all rights, probably shouldn't have. Then you could just basically never pick against Mahomes in the
0: playoffs. That was his, he wasn't great in the second half, but that was yeah. his best accomplishment. That was the toughest yeah. defense he's ever yeah. faced in the playoffs, in the toughest environment he's ever faced in the playoffs. With the biggest stakes he's ever had in the play. Like, it was, I think it was their greatest accomplishment as an organization, the Chiefs, but that's neither here nor there. Back, uh, yeah. All right. Thank you, Mike Herndon. Of course, we do appreciate it. Paul football and other efforts. You can check him out there. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, they are going to throw the football and use computers. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. We have no I-
2: I'm excited.
0: We have no idea if it's going to work. <laughs> There's no evidence to indicate that it's going to work. Just don't throw least- computers. But at least they're throwing the football and using the internet. So there we go. That's good. Uh, Mike, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate it. Have a great one. Welcome.
2: Absolutely. You guys See See ya.
0: That was Mike Herndon here joining us on Lame Stream Sports, brought to you by... 8th and Roast. 8th and Roast. Roast. Yeah, there you go. 8th and Roast, over on Charlotte Avenue at the airport, West End. Make sure you check them out. You can buy all their beans anywhere across the county, anywhere across the city, middle Tennessee at grocery stores near you. That is the best way to do it, in my opinion. Uh, Certainly, there are great places to go get some work done or have meetings and eat some breakfast and on your way to this or that. Uh, But I'm telling you, me and the wife, all we do, we we grind the beans, uh, drip coffee pot. People don't need to to know that. that. No Uh, metaphors, please. We're talking about beans. It's the most ethically sourced beans also. My wife loves a good bean grinding. Stop. Stop (laughs) now. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. uh, I want to ask you a quick question here. And special thanks to Mike Kernan for joining us. Uh, Completely unrelated. And I know you got a recommendation to wrap us up here. But I want to ask you a question because Netflix signed a big contract with Mm Rasslin. They're going to put Raw on Netflix. And that means Netflix now is pushing themselves into the, the live sports arena Amazon is sort of doing it the best because they've had the NFL and had the most success with it on Thursday nights. We know that ESPN Plus is in this sort of nebulous planning phase for something that could be direct to consumer, uh, whether that's, you know, they bundle with Hulu, also carrying live sports and and Disney Plus. Um, you've got uh, obviously Apple with all of MLS and a little bit of baseball. We are entering... We are entering the live sports phase of streaming, which is where all of the advertising revenue is is at. Um, I don't know how many st- like legitimate streamers you would you would say are out there. How many? How many like legit? Would you say there is like a dozen, maybe fifteen legitimate yeah. streamers? Yeah. Are we not? Let me ask you sort of a big picture philosophical question: Are we not just headed for the same thing that cable was and that network television was, which is we're going to end up with like four streamers that just acquire all the other streamers, and we're just going to have like four apps? Is that not where we're so where we're going?
1: Well, so so Byron Allen, Byron Allen's company just uh put in like a fourteen billion dollar bid for Paramount that was in the news this morning. You know, Paramount's like ha, has a pretty big footprint in terms of their content, but but they're not a huge company, so they're going to get acquired, whether it's by them or whether it's by uh you know getting gobbled up and put into Max uh or wherever you know wherever else it's going there's going to be some consolidation that goes on here um some of these streamers cannot make it um purely as, as as streaming um it's one of the reasons why you saw peacock going all in on this uh on this nfl game uh because that did, you, watch, way did to, you pay did you pay for it and watch it i already had peacock because i because i'm a, I'm a, premier, a premier league fan and so oh, i was okay. so i watched gpl games on there um but but they you know they brought in, they, they, they brought a bunch of people in the door. And so I think that that was that was super important. You're gonna see some more of that. I'm really interested to see what happens with prime and these regional sports networks and kind of like how all of that shakes out um, because I haven't watched uh, I, you know there's a Preds game the other night, but it was on TNT and so I was able to watch it. but I mean I I, I don't have, access to Bally Sports cuz i don't have a cable um i don't have a cable bundle and i don't pay for their not great service are you are you gonna,
0: so, you're not going to sign up for espn plus and then use a fake vpn you're not going to do that i'm not going to do that that's how that's how you do it <laughs> i mean I, and i'm and <laughs> i'm uh, hypothetically
1: pay- hypothetically I, if one if wanted, you wanted to do that if, if, if somebody if, wanted, to if that, yeah. wanted to do that you
0: wanted to do that but
1: but i mean uh i mean i already pay for espn plus and so yeah i, I i'm already uh, I hope there's some consolidation because I have a lot of subscriptions out there.
0: Yeah, me um, too. Yeah. And frankly, the friction of getting from app to app versus channel to channel inside of a cable bundle is a problem.
1: It is. I mean, it's not as easy as switching channels. I will say that uh, I, I do like... I, I like using uh, my Apple TV box because it's makes it makes things kind of super simple to switch around. And they they do pull like particularly if I'm watching a series someplace you know they will pull all of those into like kind of a single screen and be like hey do you want to watch another episode of X or y or Z so um well and I and- use
0: just I use, I use just televisions for that and I have found oddly enough that Apple TV strangely does not work very well on my Sony Android television huh shocking huh shocking how about that? The app, the app, Apple TV app, doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. work. They it, it, it buffers and it doesn't work. And it's like, oh, I wonder why.
1: Mm, works it's, great it, on my Apple TV box. It, I'm sure it does. It, it, and actually, <laughs> sure it works it pretty well on it works pretty well on a Fire TV. Uh, I, we've, we've no, got Fire... I know,
0: I know. I have I, I use all the apps off the actual Sony televisions that I have. Yeah, and those are Android, and they're attached to Google, which makes very easy to have the entire home connected because we're connected to everything. Right, but so we basically are—we're basically Android and iOS all together at the same time. <laughs> just, we're just plugged into the mainframe, uh, giving them our. But to answer your
1: question, though, and kind of tied up there, I, there's going to be streamer consolidation. Uh, it's going to make it easier for fans. It will not make it any less expensive for fans. You know, nope. we, we, we. This disaggregation is 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 inevitably going to cost you more money if you want all of the same things that you had under your cable. Uh, under your cable bundle, so. All
0: right, I want you to ask me what I think of Tennessee's PR strategy handling an NCAA investigation.
1: So, what do you think of Tennessee's uh, PR strategy uh, uh on an on a on this NCAA investigation outside of you know you know bringing the attorney, the state attorney general, into the mix?
0: Absolute pure PR, four D chess brilliance. They probably broke every rule possible, <laughs> and I, you know, why I know because they've, because Don De Plowman and the University of Tennessee have have hulked their way into the narrative, stolen it all, and claimed the moral high ground at the same time. It is it, it is 4D dimensional, 4D PR chess that Don De Plowman and the University of Tennessee are playing. They have completely dominated the narrative. They've completely taken control, made the NCAA the bad guy, and they've made themselves look good while doing it. And since we know absolutely nothing about what they did or didn't do my instincts with a pr strategy like that which feels a lot like i don't know like a united states district attorney completely downplaying a report that's coming out in the in in two weeks about what may or may not have happened in an election it feels a whole lot like that that they absolutely broke a shit ton of rules well, and, 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 and that and that no one's going to care because they've completely commandeered the the narrative right out of well, the well.
1: And 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 when the Tennessee stuff broke, I think I said what almost every other fan in the country said right now, which is, wait a minute,
0: we're paying players now. What rules are we breaking? Well, that's <laughs> the whole point. You're not technically supposed to be paying them, right? <laughs> so right. Again, I, I can't. Am I, I, am I am I wrong to have that instinct that they actually are like super guilty of something because they've come so hard into the narrative? I, I mean, don't know. but what? I,
1: don't know. I mean, what are they? What are they guilty of? Not They're cynical. guilty
0: of the the NCAA's
1: of whatever the NCAA's interpretations are. And and to that point, uh, you know, Jonathan Scrametti, the attorney general for the state of Tennessee, filed in court yesterday to. Uh, nullify those rules anyway
0: well uh, but that lawsuit has nothing to do with the potential violations that is an antitrust lawsuit that again the ncaa will probably lose so everything is lined up here it's it was so i I would have like the nerd communications pr person inside of me the little the, the little nerd inside of me that loves this stuff would have absolutely loved to have been in the meeting with ut brass and said, like, and, and, and gotten to be in the room when they decided, no, we are going full fucking scorched earth, and we are going to make, we're going to vilify the NCAA, we're going to claim that we are 100% innocent, nothing to see here, we are going to file a lawsuit that is basically unrelated, but makes it look related at the same time that, that attacks the NCAA's rules, uh, and, and we're gonna and we're going to claim the moral high ground that we're, quote, helping families, which they are, by paying players. So it's just, it's, I, it, it is such a perfect PR strategy. I love it. I love it.
1: Well, and 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 can you find anybody that wants to be on the side of the NCAA no. right now? No, no.
0: nobody. It's nobody. so, it's Zero. K- pushing on the open door. <laughs> yeah. Even though, again, it is very likely that Tennessee violated every possible rule, all of the rules, at every possible place in the university. Like this is broad, major institutional problems, potentially, but may turn out to be nothing because. They've done such a great job. All right. I just wanted to, I had to, I had to do that because it was so no, that's good. great. All right, real so
1: quickly, good. uh, I have one recommendation, and it is um it is on a streamer that you will have a hard time finding. <laughs> Brit box. Uh even it's the more obscure of the <laughs> of the UK streamers. Scott it's Scott Box. It's Acorn.
0: <laughs> oh god, uh, what is that?
1: So Acorn has like a lot of uh Acorn has like a lot of Aussie uh kind of programming in there and some other stuff uh some 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 british stuff uh you know and so if you have either one of those it's a lot of cop shows um but they co-produced with amc uh for amc's streamer again another one that's hard to find amc plus so you can get Uh it on there can't wait uh uh it's called monsieur spade do that again do that, again. Miss. Uh, look, nobody needs to hear my French. I had a, I had a, I had a French teacher in college beg me never to speak the French language. Okay, <laughs> so,
0: Monsieur? Mis,
1: Monsieur, Monsieur, Monsieur Spade,
0: Monsieur, Spade. Monsieur? I, I always, uh, I oui always, oui. End,
1: I always end up sounding <laughs> like, uh, I, I, like I'm in a Pink Panther movie when I say that. Hmm. Uh, the, it is fantastic. It is Clive Owen as okay. sam spade the he's, the prototypic the prototypical uh private eye from like the maltese falcon and and, okay. and kind of other okay. kind of other stuff uh it it and he's in like semi retirement living in the french countryside and it is fantastic it is so good and it is so be- i mean it was going to be good anyway, just because they shot the French countryside like yeah, that's cool, like like you can, and it's just beautiful, and it's most of it takes place in this little village. It is awesome, uh, and I, we're about the, there. There are six episodes. They've released the first three already, um, and w- w- it's it's to the point now that they're releasing them on Sundays. It's like appointment viewing on the day it's released. Uh, it is it is that good. Uh, and it's so, uh, Clive Owen. Uh, Clive Owen has the has the ability to just kind of chew through scenes in like that kind of deadpan, laconic sort of way. It's amazing.
0: So, so Clive Owen, uh, a career trajectory we all can envy, from movies to Showtime to Acorn,
1: Got to it. Acorn. Congratulations, Got you've it.
0: made it, Clive. <laughs> no, he's good. I like him. Have you watched Saltburn, by the way? Uh, I've not. It's okay. on the list. Okay, stay tuned, Saltburn. We're, Check it out. Still want feedback? Com- we're coming back for it. True Detective season four, awesome. Uh,
1: on the list as well
0: my wife and i have very few shows where we're like 8 p.m on sunday we're tuned in yeah we can't wait for the the, next episode
1: that's what this is for us right now
0: very few that are like that true detective season four awesome awesome jody foster lover lover she's great okay uh all right special thanks to Ethan and roast for uh supporting the show we do appreciate it you guys should go support them buy their beans they're better Good uh, and, and of course if you uh we do appreciate Mike Herndon as well. So make sure you check out Mike Herndon on Football and Football and Other F words podcast and Paulkarski.com. For Steve Cavendish, I'm Braden Gall, thank you for listening. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Have a good one. This has been Lamestream Sports.